Amen, church. Let's find our place again in Acts chapter number 2. Those of you that are visiting with us today, if you're unfamiliar, there is a a pew Bible in the back right in front of you. And uh, the Bible is much like, um, I mean, it's inspired of God, but it's much put together like many other books. And so in the front matter, there's a table of contents. And so if you're unsure as to where the book of Acts is, just open up the first few pages. You'll find the table of contents, and it'll show you the page number where Acts begins, and so we want to be in Acts chapter 2, and the uh, larger numbers within the pages are the chapters, and the smaller numbers are the verse references. Acts chapter number 2, verse number 22 through verse number 24, let me read these for you, and we'll have a word of prayer asking the Lord to help us. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse number 22, the Bible says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Him in your midst, just as yourselves know these things. This man... Same person, this Jesus, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Father, we come to you at this time, and we have had a wonderful service and a great time together, and we open your word, and and Lord, the Bible that sits in our laps and lays upon this pulpit, we are convinced as believers that it is is perfect, and Lord, there are so many big and, and wonderful theological terms that we could use of inerrant and inspired and infallible. But all of those words simply just wrapped up means that when we read the words that are in this book, we hear the voice of the living God and that it is right and it is binding upon our lives. And Lord, as we worship today and we are encouraged about Easter Sunday and the resurrection, Father, I pray that all that we have sung and all that we'll see here in the Scripture would not be lost upon this day, but that it would transform us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ so that tomorrow when we go to work and as we deal with our family and friends and all of the things of our life this coming week, that the Scripture would have impact upon our life, that it would change us from the inside out. And we will thank You for it. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Now, when we find ourselves in this little passage of Scripture, chapter 2, verse 22, 23, and 24, just these uh, three small verses or so, it comes right into the flow of the first sermon of the book of Acts. Peter's preaching here, and um, this is uh, the day of Pentecost has gone on. Christ has already been raised from the tomb. Fifty days have gone by. 
The Lord has been with His disciples. He has now ascended into heaven. And, uh, and all of the uh, disciples have been gathered in the upper room. And then they begin to prophesy the Spirit of God. If you read earlier in the chapter, He comes down upon these people. And they are speaking and preaching. And by the end of the chapter, some 3,000 people will trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It is a wonderful, wonderful day in the life of the church. And Peter is preaching. And uh, as they, uh, the people that are around, both the Israelites and all the people that have come to Jerusalem uh, to worship and all the folks that are around, believers and unbelievers, they see what's going on, that the Spirit of God is now upon these people who are preaching the Word. And what they say is, are they drunk? Uh, somebody spiked the, did somebody spike the juice? Did somebody give them at the brunch this morning uh, some sort of screwdriver with uh, orange juice and vodka in it? And some of my members are saying, how does the pastor know about that? <laughs> I read it in a magazine, all right? Now listen. They are seeing some of the craziest things go on and they say, you guys are drunk. That's what's going on. And the Apostle Peter, he stands up, he says, listen, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Nobody gets drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning unless you're nuts. These people aren't drunk. No, they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe in the Lord of the resurrection. And their lives have been turned inside out and upside down. And they are filled with the Spirit of God. And they are speaking the truth of the Word of God. And then Peter stands and he begins to preach the Gospel. And from verse number 22 all the way down to the end of the chapter, he is preaching to them. And the main thrust of the message is on the resurrection of Jesus. And that's where it should be because he's only 50 or 60 or so days out from the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so you would find that right smack dab in the middle of his sermon, he speaks about the resurrection. And he has three things on either side. He talks about the person of Christ and the cross of Christ. And he gets the resurrection. And then after that, he speaks about the fulfillment of the promise of the Spirit and the Lord pouring that out upon his people. And so all I want to do is just make three points to you from those three verses. And we'll worship the Lord and spend time with our families today. In verse 22, here's the first point that I want to make to you. Only the person of Jesus can solve your problems. Only the person of Jesus can solve your problems. Look back, if you would, at verse number 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man, but He's a man attested or uh, prophesied about or drawn attention to or shown to be. He's shown to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Him in your midst just as you know these things. If you're in this room today, then maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is, what problems do you think that I have? I'm a pretty good person, and I put my makeup on today, I shine my shoes, I got a nice suit of clothes on, and I came, things are going well, my bank account is all right, and, and um, my house is doing all right, I'm, so hopefully things are okay in my relationship issues right now. And I'm a pretty good person, but the truth of the matter is that the person of Jesus is the only solution to the problem of your life, and the problem that you have and the problem that this speaker has to you today is the problem of being a sinner against the God of heaven. You're a sinner. I know that that's not a popular word to say. 
I know that you're not going to go home and turn on CNN and hear them talk about that. In fact, when people sin in the media, they use every other kind of word that they can think but to call it sin, right? He had a mistake. He misspoke. No, you lied. You're a liar. Brothers and sisters and friends and all of you that are here today, I just want you to understand that the fundamental problem of your life is sin against God. The Bible says in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus that if anything in the world is more important to you than God and His Son, then you have idols in your life. And every person in this room, whether past or present or future, will have an idol in your life that is more important to you than Jesus. We could go through a number as the table of commandments says that you're to honor your father and mother and there's someone here today, uh, maybe you're in your teens and you say, or maybe you're in your young adult years and you say, I don't honor my parents or sometimes I roll my eyes and I say things and do things that are dishonoring to my parents, then you have sinned against the God of heaven. There are others in here and you'd say that uh, yes, you tell lies and yes, you dishonor and yes, you cheat and yes, you steal and yes, you treat people in the way that you shouldn't shouldn't And maybe you'd say, well, I've never murdered anybody. But Jesus would say, if you look on somebody with anger in your heart, you're just the same as sinner. I've never committed adultery in the flesh, but if you've looked upon a woman, Jesus said, and lusted after her, you're still the same guiltiness. The problem you have and the problem I have is sin. Not that I just mess up. Not that I periodically do wrong, but in my nature as who I am, I am against God. And I do by nature the things that He does not want me to do. And the things that He wants me to do, I don't even do those things the way that I should. You know what the Bible says? That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How does the person of Jesus from verse 22 solve the problem of sin in our life? Well, it's as simple as this. My dear friends, I I will tell you this, that we are human beings and we need deliverance. We need something outside of ourselves. We can never save ourselves. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of your works, lest anybody should boast. And so because we are all sinners, because we have all come short of the glory of God, you can't do enough good to wipe away your sins. You can't help enough elderly people across the street. You can't write enough cards. You can't not honk at people that cut you off on 440 enough. There is nothing that you can do to wipe away the sin of your life. And we need something beyond ourselves. We need something outside of ourselves to come into us to save us to redeem us, to take our sinfulness. And you know, if you're honest, look, you can put on that smile all you want, but if you're honest, you know that you sin against God and other people. And you need something outside of yourself to bring you redemption and forgiveness and grace and help and restoration. And yet the truth of the matter is, even though our deliverance must come from outside of ourselves, we still need something that identifies with who we are as human beings. Aliens cannot save us. Angels cannot save us. 
Little green men cannot save us. No, we need some sort of human that identifies with us, that knows what it is to bleed, that knows what it is to suffer, that knows what it is to hunger, that knows what it is to be all human. We need someone to identify with us. Do you know anybody in the world like that? Yeah. You see, my friends, the solution to your problem is the person of Jesus. God worked things out just so that the second person of the Trinity, Christ, comes down into the world, born of the Virgin Mary. And in one person, He is both God and man. He is both genuinely everything that it means to be God. He is eternal. He is coexistent with the Father. He has all power and all knowledge and all wisdom. And yet at the exact same time, the Bible says that He learned obedience as a man and He humbled Himself. He took on the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Somehow in Jesus we have God and humanity in one person dying for your sin. Some ladies came to my house door the other day and uh, opened up the door and uh, they said that they had a little magazine with me. It said something about a watchtower. First, I was interested. I thought it was Jimi Hendrix all along the watchtower, but I soon found out that it was not. This came from something else. And Look, I, I'm not one of those weirdo pastors that's mean and I use a bullhorn when people come to my door. I was just as gracious as I can be. And we stood there, but in a moment of time, I said, eh, you know, I'm not sure that this is going to work out. Look, I'm, I'm a pastor of a Baptist church. And, and the lady said, oh, well, we're all on the same side. <laughs> Look, I, I didn't, <laughs> although I would like to, I didn't get in a debate about the Greek text of John 1.1. 1, 1. All, all I simply did is said, look, what you need to understand is I believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal, coexistent Son of the living God. And the lady kindly, in her way, she said, oh yeah, we don't, we don't see that eye to eye. There is, in the media, there's all these things about how wanting all of our God to be the same God. And let me tell you something, when you come across somebody that's Hindu or Muslim or whatever it might be. Don't, don't be a mean, weirdo kind of Christian. Just be gracious and kind. But I do want you to understand that all religions are not the same. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but my, by me. The fundamental difference between what we believe as Christians and the rest of the entire world is we believe that the person, the human and the God-man that lived nearly 2,000 years ago that came from Nazareth in this sermon, Jesus from Nazareth, we believe Him to be both God and man in one person and He is the solution for your problem of sin. And my dear friend, if you live the rest of your life trying to think that you're good enough to be saved or you're good enough to get into heaven or, or, or you know a family or you were baptized or you grew up in church or you were christened as a child, whatever it might be, none of those things, the Scripture says, will ever suffice for your salvation and entrance into heaven. The only hope that you have is lies outside of yourself 
in the Godship of Christ. And it lies within Christ coming to be human for us so that when He went to the cross to die for our sins, He was both dying as a human and dying as God, paying for our sin. The person of Jesus is the solution to the problem of your sin. Here's the second point from verse number 23. This man, delivered over by the predeterminate plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Here's the second point I want to make this morning. Only the cure of the cross will heal your disease. Only the cure or the remedy of the cross will heal the sin disease that you have inside of you. Just as in verse number 22, we see God and man coming together in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse number 23, we see God and man at work again when we come to the cure of the cross. Do you see what it says there? This man delivered up, that is delivered unto death, delivered unto the cross by the predetermined and foreknowledge plan of God and the foreknowledge of God. What I want you to understand is when Jesus went to the cross, it was not an accident. It was not plan B. God didn't look down at Adam and Eve and say, whoops, they messed up. I've got to do something. The Bible says that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world long before humanity ever came around. God knew what we would choose and we would choose ourselves and we would need a redeemer and God has been working in His sovereign, almighty, all-powerful, all-controlling will for all history to bring the culmination of the cross so that men and women and boys and girls sitting in this room this day might believe on Jesus. This is the day of your salvation. God ordained the work of the cross The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that we did esteem Him stricken and smitten of God. That when Jesus died on the cross, it was the outpouring of the wrath of the Father upon the Son for you. When Jesus died on the cross and you see the movies of all of the crown of thorns and the pain and the suffering and the spitting and the ripping of His beard and the lashing of His back and all of your sin being dumped and deposited in the Son of God, all of that was planned and predetermined by God for you. That's how much God loves you. But on the other end of that, look what it says. He was delivered up, right? Delivered up by the predeterminate plan of God and the foreknowledge of God that God has been driving all of history to the cross to make a cure for our sin. But then what does it say? You, you put Him on the cross by the hands of godless men and let all of us today in this room not be pious at all and think that we are any better than the Roman soldiers that cast lots for Jesus' garment or that you would not have driven the spear in His side. Please, if you walk out of here today with even one thought, remember this, if you do not see that in your own wicked heart you have the capability to drive the spear into the side of Jesus, if you walk away from here today, do not think you're 
any better than any other human that's ever walked the face of this planet. You have the capability. You may not have exposed it. You may not have committed the sins of Hitler, but deep within your heart, you have the capability of it. And our hearts are desperately wicked. You see both sides of the cross. God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Delivered over to the cross by the predetermined and foreknowledge of God. You put Him on the cross by the hands of godless men. Those people were responsible and so are we. Why does God make a plan of salvation in this way? Why does the cure of the cross come to heal our disease? Because God orchestrates all of history and plans all of it to bring Jesus to the cross. And yet, every human being under the sound of my voice in this room today, when you leave here, you understand you are responsible for what you do with Jesus Christ. And if you're listening to me today and all you're trying to do is count the slats over here and see if there's any bulbs missing and you're just twiddling your thumbs and hoping this thing's be over with so you can get away from this loudmouth preacher, please understand that when you leave and you lay your head on your pillow tonight and all is dark and all is quiet and all of the fleeting thoughts go out of your mind, you are still responsible for what you will do with Jesus. Will you believe on Him? Will you trust Him? Will you make Him the Lord of your life? God's sovereignty and power and grace saving humanity. And every person in this room still accountable and still responsible for what you do with Jesus. The great cure for our sin is found at the cross. There are some of you in here and you're listening and you're watching the Scripture and you're listening to the music and you see people that have seeming genuine joy in your mind. You think, is that real? Is that fake? Listen, don't look to people. Look to Jesus. Look to the cross. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And let me take a moment, just an aside, to speak here to believers and church members alike. Peter is giving this sermon to unbelieving Jews. But everybody else is around too. All of the believers, all of the church, everybody is listening to Peter preach. And he gets to this point and he says, listen, it is Christ upon the cross that is the cure for our sin sickness. And there are some people in this room that you at one point came to that decision where you realized you could not save yourself and you threw yourself on the mercy of Christ and you believed on Him and He saved you and now somehow that has dulled over and calloused over and you have begun to live your life as if God is basing His acceptance on you on the way that you live rather than waking up every day and saying, I am accepted not by what I do but what Christ has done on the 
cross for me. And the life that I live, I will live in joy. I will live in obedience. I will live out of love for Christ, not so that I can attain His mercy, but because it's already been given to me. That's how we are to live. Let me give you one last point today. Look at verse number 24. But God raised Him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for Him to be held in its power. Here's the third point. Only our God can overcome the grave for us. Only our God can overcome the grave for us. Look what it says in the text. But God raised Him up again. For it was impossible for the grave to hold on to Him. Hallelujah and glory to God as we worship and sing and bless the great name of Jesus today. The truth of the matter is that the person of Christ deals with the problem for He is us and beyond us. The cross brings the cure for our sin because Christ dies for our own sinfulness. But aren't you glad that Jesus is not some great martyr that remains in the grave? Jesus is alive. Amen? Not a Baptist church. That would have been a good place to say amen. Can I take just a moment to explain something to you? I wasn't sure. I was thinking about this this morning, just debating back and forth what I tell you. As a believer, if somebody ever asks you the question, how do you know that he lives? How do you know that he's alive? The answer is not to say... Because of you know something that is in your heart. The answer is to say, because what you know is not in his heart. The reason why Jesus is alive today is not based upon you, but it's based upon what is not in him. Because what is not in the heart of Jesus is sin. And the reason why death exists in the world is because sin is in the world. The Bible says, For by one man sin entered into the world, and therefore death by sin, and death has spread upon every man and every woman and every boy and every girl. The reason why death is in the world is because sin is in the world. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason why death could not hold Jesus, the reason why the grave could not hold Jesus is because He's not a sinner. He is eternally righteous. And the reason why people die and are held in the grave is because of our sinfulness and what is in our hearts. What's the good news of the resurrection for all of us today? The Bible says that He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, our sin is what takes us to the grave and holds us in death and hell forever. But Jesus took our sin. Jesus took all of our sin and all of our shame and all of our wickedness and on the cross He put it into His own life. But not only that, for those that believe, Jesus takes His righteousness and His holiness and the wonder of wonders that is the Son of the living God and He puts His righteousness into you so that when you have cancer or when you have a heart attack or when you come to the point of death and you die, you don't see death and the grave does not 
hold you anymore. Why? Because your sin was paid for on Calvary's cross and the righteousness of the Son of the living God is imputed into your life. And death does not hold us because death could not hold him. Isn't that what the text says? For it was impossible for him to be held by it. The problem that I have and the problem that you have is sin. And the only one that can do anything about it is Jesus. Thankfully, Jesus did come and he went to the cross and he died for your sin. He died for all of our sin that would believe in Him. But on the third day, Jesus rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave because it could not hold Him down. And all that Jesus is, He is imputed into us. And because we are in His image and have His righteousness, we too will not be held down by the grave. Let me give just a couple of points of application and we'll finish for today. The first and the foremost is this. If you're here today, no matter whether you've been here 15 years, 50 years, or this is the first time you've ever walked into this building, if you don't know Jesus Christ and that kind of resurrection power, you've never said to yourself, man, I am a sinner. I need Jesus' work on the cross and I believe that He rose again and I want Him to be my Lord and Savior. Today, don't leave. Today is the day to trust Jesus. You don't have to sign a card. You don't have to be dunked in somebody's water. You don't have to do all of that right where you are. If the Spirit of God, if there's some sort of moving on the inside and you know that the Scripture is right and that Jesus died for you and rose again, right where you are in your own words, in your own way, you ask Christ to be the King of your life and He will. And he says, Steve, how do, you, how do you know what will happen? The Bible says that those that are in Christ, that there becomes bearing of fruit, your life will begin to change and you'll begin to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I've got friends that before they were saved, they were okay with many things. After they got saved, they weren't okay with those things and all they wanted to do is be around God's people and in God's book and pray and they wanted, they wanted to grow. They wanted to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the mark of true salvation. Let me just say here for all of our believers, do you believe this message? Do you believe this scripture? I was listening as we sang that song about what we believe if you really, really believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again and He has given you eternal resurrection life, why doesn't it change the way that you live this week? Why don't you live a God-centered, Christ-centered life where all you want to do is know what He wants done and do it? I want to urge every believer that would have been listening along here and in this room, to go back to your salvation. Know that Christ has saved you. Have your heart warmed by what He has done and live in obedience to that. And the last encouragement I want to give 
people in this room is this. Many of you as believers have had friends and loved ones and close people die who were believers. They are more alive right now than they have ever been. They are not in a better place. They are not in some limbo zone. They are fully alive with Jesus. And they are not that way because of anything they did. They are alive victoriously because they put their faith and life in Jesus Christ alone. And you will see them again if you're a believer. Christ takes away the sting of death because He paid all of that on the cross and rose again. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a moment? In just a minute we'll stand and sing together. Heads bowed, eyes are closed as a courtesy. Uh, that's what we do here. Um, maybe just take a moment if you're not used to that. and uh, Maybe just try and talk with God. Maybe it's been a while since you've done that. But um, in the quietness here, with nobody looking around, look, I'm not coming to you, and I, I know this might be your first time here, but if you'd say, Steve, I, I'm not sure that I'm a believer in Jesus, would you pray for me? Would you, would you just look up at me? Nobody else looking around. I just want to pray. I'm not coming to where you are. Just look up and meet eyes with me. Thank you. Anybody else today? Thank you. Anybody else today? Just say it. Thank you. I, I'm unsure. I, I don't know. I, I think I want to be a believer, but I'm not sure what all that means. Anybody else today? All right. For everybody else, I thank you for just keeping your head bowed, eyes closed for a minute. Just pray. Spend some time with the Lord. Let me just speak to those that looked at me for a moment. Just pray right where you are and ask the Lord to begin a work of salvation in your heart. Right there where you are, if you, if you know that, man, I, I'm ready. I, I want to trust Jesus. I want to give my whole life to Him. I want to give everything I've got. Right where you are right now, just in the quietness of your heart, just say, Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I, I know I fail. And I want you to forgive me. And I want you to save me. Just pray like that, honestly and sincerely. And the test of the sincerity and the humility that comes from a prayer like that is on the back end of today's service after we dismiss or by email or tomorrow or by appointment, talk to me. Come, come talk to me. Let, let us help you. Let us walk with you. Salvation is a moment in time, a conversion, turning from yourself and turning to Jesus. But discipleship is a lifetime. And we want to help you with that. For my brothers and sisters that are in this room, just praying right now, it's a happy Easter morning that Jesus is alive and well. Maybe even just take a moment to tell you in your own heart, say, Lord,
I, I once again, I center my life on the fact that you're alive and well and you love me. And I'm asking for help to live the rest of this week for you. Where you show me I have sin, I'll get it out. Where you tell me to do something, I'll do it. And I'm going to make you the center of my life. I'm going to read about you and pray to you, walk with you, and I'm going to love other people. Maybe those are some prayers you need to have. Why don't you stand and sing this song with us today?